0: welcome to creative place the podcast for creative placemakers i'm your host andrea orlando we interviewed Juanita hardy at the 2019 TomTom Tom summit and festival in charlottesville virginia in april she recently finished a creative placemaking fellowship with the urban land institute and has since been working as a consultant with the urban land institute as one of her clients the Institute is a nonprofit research and education organization, and our guest offers some research-backed insights into the past, present, and future of creative placemaking. So how are developers thinking about creative placemaking? Are they becoming increasingly aware of it?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, In the time that I served as a Senior Visiting Fellow for Creative Placemaking for Urban Land Institute, that was absolutely the case. Uh, I saw a growing interest in the subject, and I had the opportunity to meet developers that were committed to creative placemaking and, and, and wanting to understand, number one, how to do it well, uh, number two, where are the resources or that they should engage uh, in the process? And number three, one thing I also heard a lot was we need tools. What are the, the, the tools that allow us to quantify the benefit of this, of this, uh, of this initiative? So it, it is a growing practice within the real estate development industry.
0: And how did you get into creative placemaking yourself? Oh, that's an interesting
1: question. So
0: because my background would not necessarily lead you to where
1: I am today, right? Not not on the surface until you hear my, hear my story. So I've I've been in the in the business world for 43 years, right? The first 31 of those years I spent with IBM. So in the technology field, doing different things, different all technology related, and concluding with management consulting, <clears throat> but really looking at it as a te- way to uh, how to use technology to enable business success. About in the mid 80s I got involved in the arts, actually early 80s. I became, uh, started serving on nonprofit art boards and by the middle of the 80s I decided to collect art. So I was very involved in art and visual arts initially and then, then I'm a voracious uh, theater go- goer so also performing arts and uh, uh, after I retired from IBM I got introduced to this opportunity to run a nonprofit arts organization. That got me on a track of creative placemaking because I was working with real estate developers, uh, and after I finished my tenure with that that organization, I got that re- uh, I came to learn about this opportunity uh, at Urban Land Institute and competed for the role and was appointed as their senior visiting fellow for creative placemaking. So that's what I've been doing. So it's this passion for art and business and how the two of them can help to create better, healthier, vital communities is the work that I've been about um, and the passion that I have.
0: So we just finished up at a panel at the TomTom Summit that really examined creative placemaking done well and creative placemaking done not so well. What do you see as the best practices for developers?
1: That's another good question because one of the things that I did in my role as Senior Visiting Fellow for Creative Placemaking was really to look very closely at that, at that question and seek answers to what are best practices. Are um, the ULI members were asking for this? Um, and so during the first term of my uh, three-year assignment, um, I spent in what, what uh, I call discovery. Right did lots of interviews, did uh, uh, focus groups, did a lot of research, both internal and external research, Um, and out of that, uh, and a survey. I did a a survey of ULI ULI members, mainly in the real estate development, real estate uh, developers, um, planners, uh, investors uh, in the arts, but mainly real estate developers. So I did the the survey uh, and, and putting all of that together as well as looking at external research led to 10 best practices that relate to the real estate development industry. That was actually published in an article in Urban Land Institute. I want to say around 2017 um, is the time frame. And those best practices continue to be relevant, continue to come up again and again uh, in terms of how to do creative placemaking well. So, of the 10, I would say the ones that are most important are the one that begins with a vision around what you want to achieve in, in, and how art and culture can enable that achievement, right? And that's a, that's a very uh, a complete vision, and by complete, I mean where you look at not only what you want to realize from this um, embracing art and culture, but also the things that you don't want to occur. A topic that um, we hear a lot is gentrification and displacement. And how real estate development projects are creating these wonderful, vibrant places—you know, rebuilding cities—but uh, displacing individuals in the process. So, what we learned and as a best practices is, is looking at how do we do this in a way that everyone benefits, and we alleviate or, or eliminate displacement uh, in the process. Right. So, so the visioning is the one thing. The second thing is. Engaging artists and the community early in the process. Artists right up front. If you think about a real estate development cycle, you have the pre-development or pre-the uh, design phase. You have the construction or development phase, and then you have post-construction. So. The key feature of creative placemaking is, within the real estate development industry is bringing art and culture into the equation at the very start of the real estate development process, and that that means with design. So the artist working in tandem with the architect, with the designer, in the design of that project getting them engaged early getting the community engaged early right so that's a that's a uh, we found that to be a very effective best practice uh, to, to create vibrant communities that thrive and that everyone uh, re realizes some benefit from and then the third thing um, that is key is partnerships recognizing that you know, we're, we're not an island, we're not, we don't do things, you know, just uh, solo, that, you know, we want to get all of the partners, all of the players engaged, get, uh, we talked about the community engagement piece, but also public-private partnerships, you know, where these projects have worked well is when there is an investment by all, you know, by all of the stakeholders and there are benefits that are realized by all of the stakeholders. So there are seven more but i'll stop there with those three.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what what are the significant challenges to good creative placemaking? Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and and again, it goes back to the conversation we were having earlier about displacement, right? Is that these projects, you know, be, you know, everyone's excited about new and new projects that are coming to a community. Not everyone, many of us are, Are, but there's also the fear around what that's going to do to the community. How will it change the community? Will the community be a different one? Will the people that are there, or the businesses that are there, be able to stay? So that's the challenge. You know, it's how you bring in, Do you want bring new energy and new life and new ideas to a community. You want that, right? You want to make for a better, healthier community. How do you do it in a way that you don't lose um, you know, jewels in that community, lose the people in the community, lose the energy that attracted say a real estate developer to the community or to the place in the first place. How do you do it in a way that it really is a, a, a net gain? And not a loss with bringing more, but of losing some, some some important feature of that community. so and displacement is one of the big concerns that we have is something that we see as a national concern, I dare say, an international concern because I have had the opportunity to do some work uh, abroad in Europe and uh, and so that is a growing concern in our communities. and there, there, there are ways that things that we can think about to do it. Better and differently, but displacement is definitely a challenge, you know. And so, so having that understanding, that awareness, and that commitment to not have displacement happen or to uh, to limit displacement, it becomes an important part of the the solution. I think another challenge is is funding, right? Is how then do you do the when we talk about everybody being benefiting from it. How do you do this in a way that, that everyone benefits? Uh, one of the things that I love about this project that I, I re- recently talked about called Crosstown Concourse is a, um, a, a, the uh, adaptive reuse of a, of a Sears Distributions plant in Memphis, Tennessee. Over a million square feet of space redeveloped into an urban village. The energy behind this uh, project is a... Um, a real estate developer who was, uh, or still is, a art professor, who had this concept, had this idea, engaged his buddy who was an artist. They engaged a philanthropist who, in turn, uh, helped them to secure the Sears uh, uh, Center, and then they, they together, launched forward, and lo and behold, over, I think, two or three years' time, produced uh, cross, cross Town Concourse. But the way they did it, the partnerships, strong partnerships, they had this concept of art, health, and wellness that was the anchoring idea around the project. They engaged health organizations in the community to to be involved. They um, uh, involved uh, philanthropists or foundations that were interested in what they were trying to achieve. Um, they had this concept, they eng- engaged government, local government, state government, national foundations, and it was a combination of all of those players that helped them to get the funding that funding needed to implement the project. So funding often is, is an issue, partnerships and creative financing is a key um, uh, part of the solution to that.
0: Yeah, interesting that you mentioned Memphis, Tennessee. So we're recording in early April 2019 and next week I'm going to Columbia, South Carolina. Oh wow. wow. Yeah. And uh, we have a new scholarship program and I want to say at least 3 scholarship applicants were from Memphis, Tennessee. Wow. And and we're <laughs> ser- and this summit is serving all of the South and Appalachia. Mm -hmm. And so to have three or four representatives come from one city, I think tells you that there's an energy Mm -hmm. in that place.
1: Yeah. I mean, Memphis, Tennessee is an amazing city. I can say that about many cities that I have visited. I will tell you, I mean, the You know, there are so many wonderful things that are happening across our country. Really, you know, with people that are committed to creating great communities uh, in their community, in their city, um, there's some wonderful projects to be talked about. But Memphis, Tennessee, I tell you, in addition to Crosstown Concourse, they have have some great barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) And I say that with a little bit of a sigh because I'm from North Carolina, and my North Carolinian friends probably would not like me uh, <laughs> thinking about any other barbecue other than North Carolina barbecue, which is also good, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. right, so that that brings me to my next question, which is, are there any differences that you notice mm-hmm. from one region of the country to another? And has any one region embraced it more than another
1: that's an interesting question so you know every place is unique right every city every region every uh every state and you know if you think about the united states all unique with qualities that are different than from any other place right that's what makes the united states i think such a special place in the world number one and and just the fact that we have these 50 different cultures, so to speak, that comprise our state, our United States, is, is somewhat intoxicating, right? It's cert- I mean, I get very excited when I go to a new place, and I'm very, I feel very privileged that I've had the opportunity to go to different cities and places across the United States, many places I've never been to before, and learn about what they're doing and what their interest is in creative placemaking. And, and what I found is every place is different, they're doing different things, they have different goals and objectives, but there, there, there is some connective tissue, okay? And that connective tissue really has to do with connecting people, attracting people to a place, and uplifting the region in ways that benefit all of the stakeholders, right? That is a common thread that I think runs through all of the projects and places that I've visited in terms of creative placemaking. They're all about how do we foster more community cohesion, right? How do we address some of the concerns that people have around issues of safety, issues of of access to quality food, access to health care? access to transportation? How do we make our place an economically attractive place to others so that we're getting some economic benefit that is making the community a better place, right? Those are threads that run through it. So I think about projects like Albuquerque, New Mexico, they're, they're embarking upon a project called the Cultural Corridor, where they are linking cities along this corridor. And, they, I mean, and the culture and the history there is so different, so unique, from Santa Fe to Taos, right? Uh, through Albuquerque. So that's one example but they're taking their jewels and they're looking at how to showcase those to um, address the, some of the points that I made earlier in terms of what they want to see from this process connecting people the economic benefit and so forth. Um, the 11th Street Bridge Park you know connecting two communities across that are divided by a, a, a river but also divided in terms of economic the profile in terms of one uh, one area more affluent, other less affluent, how do this uh, connect them in ways that also foster uh, equitable communities. The Charlotte Rail Trail in Charlotte, North Carolina, that's connecting communities by this rail trail, right? So this trail that's adjacent to a light rail now People are walking it, people are biking it, and they're getting from community to community on this trail when otherwise there was no way to connect these communities, right? The San Antonio project to activate Houston Street is another one in San Antonio, Texas, where they have these large communities along Houston Street, and they're looking at the the, art and cultural assets in each one of those communities and or unique features of each one of those communities to bring uh, the communities together to connect them and make them a point of interest so that people will you know will enjoy both the the, uh, San Antonio River right but also get off the river to come up and enjoy some of the things along Houston Street so I mean uh, and there are many other projects I could talk about,
0: but those are <laughs> just a few examples. And the, ele- and the 11th Street Bridge is in. Is it Washington, Wa- D.C.? Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. yeah, Washington, D.C. And, and so, what do you see as the future? Do you have an idea where this is going? Well, I think that we're going.
1: First of all, I see a bright, exciting future. Yeah. Right. Right. Because we're going to solve some of the challenges that we talked about, right? Because we want communities where everybody participates, right? We want inclusive communities, right? We don't want communities where only the rich can live because we have displaced everyone, right? And that the less affluent are living on the edges. That's not the kind of place that we want to live in. So we're going to fix that, right? We're going to find solutions to that. Um, and we're going to continue to use art and culture as a lead, as a way to bring about these great creative, inclusive communities because we've got it. We understand that, that art is really the key to that. I was so uh, inspired to hear um, the talk at the Tom Tom Festival, the keynote speaker uh, who is the director of Art Basel. Uh, talk about what Art Basel is doing. Uh, you know, art Basel is this art fair that uh, started in Switzerland um, and is now, I think, they have a, a, they have a fair in Miami, uh, Florida, in, in the United States, and also, I believe, in Hong Kong now and, other, and possibly other cities. Uh, and this uh, um, individual is the uh, director for Art Basel Americas. You mean Noah Horowitz? Yes, absolutely, Noah Horowitz. So they're an art fair. They have attracted many, many other, or inspired many, many other art fairs across the uh, country, uh, across around the world. Uh, but and And they've said, you know, we don't need to do more art fairs, but we, I'm, not, I'm paraphrasing, that may not be what he said, but that's the way I interpreted it. Uh, but he said, but we can do other things. And what they're now doing is they're looking at how to use art to make cities more vibrant places. I was so gratified to hear about this project that they're doing, and they've chosen to work with Buenos Aires. And they're doing art uh, projects that are bringing people together, that are showcasing artists. I don't know all the details of the project. I'm going to look them up and get much smarter about it. But Art Basel, I love. I go to Art Basel every year in Miami in December, the first week of December. Right? I love art. I love walking through the, through the many, many long aisles and looking at all these wonderful artwork. Um, and, uh, and learning about new trends and new ideas and new concepts around art. And then to take that idea, to take the, the, the knowledge that they've uh, experienced of that group into communities what an exciting thought. So I think what we have ahead is just really, really great. Real estate developers that are interested in how to bring art and culture into the work that they're doing, communities that are using art and culture to heal the communities, to connect people, you know, governments that are that are funding uh, art and culture product projects to make their cities more healthier, uh, more vital uh, cities you know, national foundations and other philanthropic uh, interests that are that are contributing to these causes. I think that there's a lot of good possibilities and good things ahead, and I'm really excited about where we're headed.
0: Yeah, I can tell you that for me, just being in this city, Charlottesville,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is inspiring. Yes. Because now I, I'm getting to know some in the day that I'm here, I'm getting to know some local people and definitely continuing the conversation with them. And they are going to figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Char-
1: Charlottesville had a tough time, uh, you know, uh, with the incident that occurred. Um, you know, what was it? it feels like a year or two years ago. But they are in. Um, I mean, the city's the city's vibrant, is alive. You know the. Uh, and they just won Virginia University of Virginia just won the
0: NCAA
1: uh, championship, you know.
0: Yes. <laughs> so there's lots of good stuff happening uh, here. <laughs> that was the first thing I heard upon landing. Right, of course. Yeah, the, the pilot mentioned <laughs> it. Lots of <laughs> about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, well, thank you so much for taking the time to spend with me today, and let's do this again. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, thank you so yeah. much
1: for asking me.
0: You're welcome. You've been listening to Creative Place, produced by the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking. For more information, please visit our show page at cpcommunities.org slash podcast. Follow us on social media at cpcommunities. Bye for now.